All right, welcome to the uh, Knoxville Game Design Group's uh, podcast, Game Design Chat. It is Sunday, January the 8th. Um, this will be maybe a last episode, maybe a season ender, and we're on hiatus uh, for a little bit as the group goes through some transitions and we figure out what we're doing. So we're not going to have a game next month. The game that we picked in November, because we didn't do December, was Dwarf Fortress. Uh, so we're going to talk a little about Dwarf Fortress on this podcast, um, but I just want to state up front, this is not a complete breakdown on Dwarf Fortress because none of us um, managed to uh, penetrate an understanding of this game. It, it, the legends are true that this game is really hard to get into, um, and it was one of the reasons I picked curve. it. Yeah, it was one of the reasons I picked it. When I knew we had like a, a month off, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, this thing we can absorb, but um, didn't get very far. Um, I don't think I have top of the news. We can just get into Dwarf Fortress. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been working on, uh, we have both, well, you didn't do Ludum Dari this time, but we did have a lot of members in the Knoxville Game Design. That's true. That completed Ludum Dari entries, and at our meeting today, we looked at some of those entries, shares what we did and everything. I created a game called Free the Frog, Lock Frogger. I kind of kicked the theme to the curb and kind of shoehorned my game into yeah, the Yeah, so your, your thing was it was quantum yeah. mechanics, and so the room was the same room. You just changed when the room was. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's not a bad bad way. I um I didn't end up doing two, and half of that was being busy, but the other half was I just the theme. Like we just had, had uh one screen or something yeah. earlier. Everything and on one screen. Everything on this one screen. This is one room. It's like come on, <laughs> we need some better themes than that. Yeah, looking for uh, something like that. So I didn't do it um uh on there, but um I did install Door Fortress, um. Through both of us, actually had a lot of sickness through the holidays, uh, but through a little bit of that, I sat down and tried to get into Fortress. So my approach was probably bad, not the way you should do it. But I wanted to have like this authentic, real experience. So I didn't <laughs> want any mods. I didn't want any um, starter kit things or something like that. You I just said, want just, plain vanilla. I want the Fortress. ASCII version of Dwarf Fortress. Um and and get the true essence of the experience right, and then I figured I might add that stuff in later once I figured if I need it, and I don't think that's a good way to start because one thing it was really hard to find tutorial videos when I needed them mm. that were playing vanilla um door fortress that didn't have some mod kit installed yeah that's the way i started out i just downloaded it and it's actually really easy to run i mean you just extract the zip file and got an exe there you double click it but i was in the same boat i ran it saw the sack ascii tax i was like what in the world have i gotten myself into here i did notice i could hit <coughs> i could hit alt enter um yeah. and get full screen that didn't change the font size and when I Googled around a bit, uh, you could just roll your mouse wheel and oh, zoom in the font. I didn't know And that. it was weird because I do that all the time on a browser and other things. I could zoom in with the mouse wheel. But because it was in the ASCII font, my brain said, no, I'm going to have to do a font definition file or some INI has to be tweaked because um, I can't find it in options, how to change the font size. Um, so that you could do it dynamically. And actually, I guess you would want to do it dynamically because it would kind of zoom you in and zoom you out on the maps as well. Like, so if you're, 
playing at a higher font, you're seeing less of the game because the game is sort of like a BBS doors rendered kind of thing where it's all in um, upper ASCII characters that mean different things. So I dove right in a couple times and had a little fortress and hit default and like it was generating world. There was a button and it just said like stop or continue or something. And I hit that and not really knowing what it was, clicked past a bunch of stuff and dove in several times. And had no idea what was going on. Like, no yeah. idea what I'm supposed to be doing. What what does what? What controls what? What am I looking I started, at? I started up. I selected my parameters and it started generating the world. And it's like, oh, you're during, you're going through this age and this age. And it's like, okay, what am I doing here? How do I control this and everything? And then you click the button to stop it. And it's like, do you want to accept this world? It's like, okay, sure. Then I'm like, okay, the, is the game over? What? No, that's just generating the world. Then you got to go back to the main menu and select play game. Then you actually start building your fortress and everything. Um, and I had no idea what I needed, you know? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? We played survival games a lot. Like, they're pretty popular, but what's going on? Then after an hour or two of just slamming my head into it and realizing this is not going to work, I started going to YouTube to look for tutorials. Uh, most of them wanted me to download something from like a file planet site uh, to get going. It looked very sketch. I wasn't willing to 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 do that. <clears throat> um, and especially since the videos were not telling me why I was getting the thing I was getting, what I was doing. But I did find one video that um, I think it was a couple of years old, which is another problem. This game... Started development, we looked at this earlier, started development in 2002 and has been nonstop ever since. So you can pull up Door Fortress tutorial from 2008, 2009, and it's going to be highly irrelevant because the game is in the constant state of updating. So trying to find a current version of vanilla video tutorial uh, wouldn't get a lot of hip shit. But I did find one guy and he started to break it down as to what you were doing with the world size uh, what was going on, what you were picking, and that um, how <coughs> to survive, you would need to do all of these things before you even played the game. Um, now, I started watching a bunch of his tutorials, spent the next couple of hours doing it, and it got into the point. So I do understand that you're picking a world, you're picking sort of some base properties of like how resource rich the world is, how many civilizations are there, how hostile um, are things that you're fighting in the world are. And then it simulates ages, thousands of years, if you want, of time on that world before your um, fortress was created. So, like, civilizations are rising and falling, factions are forming. It's AI simulating all of that um, and can take a considerable amount of time. And that's why there's the button that says, are you satisfied with this world? Do you want to, like, play in, in 300 BC or wherever you, like, click stop? It reminded me a lot of, like, a Sim Earth game. Is like you're generating all this stuff over the ages. I did find a guide out there. I guess it could have been similar to the video that you had. It's called the Beginner Noob Guide. And it did explicitly say, it's like, oh, yeah, these choices that you pick before you generate the world, it can like have severe consequences. Massive, on. yeah. So it's like, oh... You can have like uh, enemies attack you or something like that or savagery or something. You want to turn that all the way down. So it gave me like what to pick for a beginner getting into the game. So I'm less likely to be attacked and I have more resources to mine and things like that. 
That's very cool. Uh, yeah, there's something like that. So um, where it got to the point where I tapped out and I said, I can't. I'm not going to. I, I have nothing against Zora Fortress. And it definitely serves a niche. And this game has been free, supported by donations, um, by, mostly developed by two brothers <clears throat> um, since 2002. There's, there's a, a loyal following. So the game is obviously filling its niche. Um, and I may enjoy the game if I got through, it's not even a curve, through this learning rectangle, you know, <laughs> like the square sign um, like that, that you can get over to understand the game. But where it broke down for me is then I realized you get a party of seven dwarves that you start with, and each one of these dwarves has 10 skill points that you can then assign into a list of about 60 talents, it looked like. Like there are pages and pages of talents and behind each one of these talents was another wealth of information of like, you're going to need, like some of it makes sense, you know, it's sort of an RPG. Okay, I'll need uh, someone to mine, so they're going to need a mining skill, and then I'm going to need a smithing skill. Oh, and then there's a weaponsmith and an armorsmith. Okay, I kind of get how all these fit together from RPGs, but then there were other ones that just were completely alien of like, there's a chain to get this resource processed into what you need, and that you're going to have to have these points spent here, and at the start, you can have one person do these three talents, but... Uh, you don't need to get door specialized in each one of these later, so it's okay at the beginning. And it was like, you're, I hate games. I hate in games when you're confronted with that D&D character creation screen style of input. It almost seems like before you like, even know the game, and it's like I don't know what's important here. It seems like it needs like a technology tree because I got very bogged down in <coughs> like the jobs, trying to assign jobs or and skills to the different dwarves. If they just like limited it to like three or four different jobs, like say mining, fishing, or something, just to start out with, then as these dwarves get more experience, maybe open up more right. jobs. And right, then, like you're you start out and you can only make a blacksmith. Yeah. And then as time improves and his skill improves, it opens up. And now it's like, is he a weaponsmith or an armorsmith? Or is he a toolsmith to make different tools, exactly. you know? But um, this just throws everything at you no, at once. You I'm like, oh, I don't once. know what to do. And then all those civilizations that are rising and falling, you also pick. And it's kind of important that you do this. And these are all in submenus, by the way. They're not an explicit set of dialogues you go through. You have to, like, drill into to change all these settings and turn these on. But you are from one of the civilizations. So you need to go and look at what the world is and what the world state is and decide, okay, I'm going to be from this civilization. And then does that mean, am I going to place my fortress near my own civilization? Because they'll likely trade with me more. That's the other thing about the noob guide that I used. And we talked a little bit about this before the podcast. But it's like very important where you actually start your initial fortress is like the aquifer aquifer aqueduct or whatever yeah. and i actually looked it up and i think if you build on an aquifer then if you start mining it will flood your whole fortress or something so. oh okay because everybody in the tutorials is like oh we don't want that and i'm just yeah. thinking no farming we want this this is great and i kept going around my world it's like everything has an aquifer on it's like i can't find one that doesn't have it but then i found out later it's like oh you can press the f key and i think you could have like actually search based on parameters. You can specify the climate and whether it has fortress, uh, forest around for 
harvesting trees and things like that and also i mean this game is for the person who's played all the civilization games and been like this is baby yeah, i need more Can, i need more <laughs> dialogues more controls more field more options um it's got to be dense to drive in now i realize now once i got through the tutorial stuff it started to click what the mods were they weren't so much <coughs> modifying the game and changing mechanics in the game <coughs> as they were giving you a starter set of like we have pre-configured your dwarves and your start and your world and your scenario to get you to the point where you could play the game and the only playing of the game that i did is you know i kind of got to the point of i'm I'm tired of looking at tutorials so i should probably look at more tutorials but i'm not going to i'm going to go back to it i pick some of these things i grab some of these traits i'm like i'm probably going to die anyway even if i got everything i needed so i got some basic stuff like one of them was fishing and i had a manager because you don't tell the door you don't control the doors but you kind of Put can, tasks out there. You can recommend things yeah. for them to do, but it's up to the dwarves themselves to actually do it's it. It's like some really weird Kanban version of society of like, I'm just a manager posting things that need to be done. And if you're free and you want to come grab one down and do that task. Um, but uh, I had problems <coughs> with uh, setting up the mining. Apparently, you're supposed to like mark an area for mining. You press the B key and you're supposed to drag a rectangle. I could never figure that I out. I couldn't get the route interface figured out, um, which I think might be similar. So I had one guy who found a fishing hole and I got into a menu where I could um, go to the different doors. Like, what are they doing? What do you do? What are you up to? You could follow a door, which I thought was kind of cool. Like with all this information going on, it was kind of a relief to drill in and say, I'm going to watch Frank right now and and I'm just going to focus on Frank's life and I and ignore the rest of this because I can't deal with it right now. What's on what's going down with you, Frank? And Frank's fishing. And I'm like, that's great. I have a guy I know I, I picked he can cook these fish. So why are you just keep fishing? Why don't you take the fish over for Frank to cook? How do I get you to do that? And I made like a task. And I don't know if the other dwarves ever signed up for it or if, even if I made the task correctly. But I made like this, like, please cook 100 fish, okay? Um, and then I was messing around and there was this route. And I do remember one of the tutorials talking about you got to define like, these routes. I couldn't figure out how to get from the fishing hole that Frank had found back to the dwarf fortress. Like, I couldn't figure out, like, geographically where these t- things were. I could never get a map to sort of, like, clue me in so that I could draw a line and say, walk from one to the other if I needed to do that. And that's when I sort of tapped out. That was the bit where I got out because I was just like, all right, this is going to be more tutorial. And then I think not long after that, I just went ahead and just sent an email. I'm like, hey, it's going to be okay if you don't <laughs> finish this one because I picked it and I didn't. <coughs> Yeah, I played about an hour. Uh, I spent probably 15 or 20 minutes. That's all on my live stream, which is uploaded to YouTube. But I spent it uh, the first 15 minutes or so, just like Mike did. I was like, I'm going to try this with no tutorial or anything. And I ended up just like making markers and fooling around the stuff. I was like, okay, now I want to actually try this with the graphical interface, which is supposed to look a little bit better. They have an interface, I think it's like isometric graphics called Stone Sense. And there's a whole story behind this, but apparently that is a part of a package. And this might have been the one that you ran into. It's called DF Hack. 
Yeah. And apparently came in that name. Your DF hack version has to match the version of Dwarf Fortress that you're running. And supposedly all you were supposed to have to do is once you've extracted DF or once you've extracted DF Fortress, extract DF hack on top of that. Well, I tried that, and my Norton just went crazy over <laughs> DF hack. Uh, there was like had to have been at least thirty DLLs, and you can hear me screaming about this on my live stream. Uh, everyone it flagged. Uh, I don't think it was malicious or anything. It's just because it was like the latest version of DF hack, and there hadn't been as many well, downloads. Or so anything. I think I can explain what that is, and it's going to set off because it is a hack, and it is going to show up to a virus scanner as malicious or as potential because uh, it acts exactly that is what it's doing. Um, it's very common in the mod community to have this method of there is, uh, like Dark Age has this, um, Dark Souls has this, I'm um, uh, not Dark Age, uh, Dragon's Age has this and all that, where you have like this base pack you have to install and then the mods go into it. And what the base hack is, that's really the the, the the true hacker modder who got into the code, figured out how it worked, cracked it open, and figured out how to inject. Um, that's what you're doing. You're injecting code into the runtime. Uh, that's the mods. And then that person makes it really nice with a couple of folders. And says like, yeah, just drop textures in this folder, and then it'll get overridden. Just drop these scripts in here, and it'll replace behaviors in there. So the normal way uh, that it's done, I don't know how it's done in... I don't know what library they used, but normally um, it goes into DirectX libraries because all games use DirectX. So you're dropping a DLL that's in the base mod that is named like D8DX. It's like DirectX version 8 or whatever it used. I think this was actually an SDL game. but Okay, so yeah, you're dropping an SDL.DLL in there. Now, the way Windows searches for DLLs is it first searches the local directory and then it searches the global install. So the modified SDL, DLL, yes. that's located next to the executable gets picked up first. But that is legit hacked. So that has taken the, the call signatures and rerouted them so I that they can once, mod it. Once you extract the DF hack, it does say, oh, do you want to <clears throat> overwrite your SD, or SDL DLL that comes with Dwarf Fortress right. over with the new one? And you're just supposed to say yes. Right. And that's another reason you have to have like bat- matching versions because they have to be built against the yeah. same binaries for all the addresses to line up. Then with DF hack, there's a 64-bit version and a 32-bit yes. version. It's like, well, I don't know if I'm running the 32-bit version of Dwarf Fortress or the 64-bit, and you got to make sure all these different versions line up together and never could get uh, the DF hack or Stone Sense working. But I did do some more searching on the web, and they had the lazy new build. For Dwarf Fortress. It just came with everything hacked? It came with that. Well, it didn't come with DF hack, but it did have some graphical themes that came with it. Not as good as the Stone Sense. It didn't have the isometric read, but it has a lot better graphics than just like the plain ASCII graphics, which were pretty nice. So that's probably counter to what we did. That is probably the way to start. Yes. Is just grab one of these that are recommended off. If you search for most YouTube videos, they're going to tell you to grab a hack pack and start there and that's all bundled together because of all of this crazy stuff we just talked about um it's still probably going to set off all of your virus scanning alerts um because i mean the method that they're using is they're interjecting code by overriding the lls and that's the same thing a virus would do so norton is not wrong it's just that 
it's not going to know that I actually want to do these things. But then you also get a nervous moment of, this came from FilePlanet.com, yeah, an not R-A-R the R-A-R file. Side. Like, I don't know if I want to download this. Uh, there was another one called Paradexus Errant Starter Pack. I was going to try that. I ran out of time, but it sounded like it was another good one out there to try. Um, so I think that wraps up our experiences with Dwarf Fortress. Yeah. Um, I was going to really say, dense. I think there was like a movie record feature in there that I thought was neat where you could start recording and do some stuff. And oh, play. do your own videos. Yeah, that was oh, pretty cool. neat. I did like that. Um, uh, DOSBox has that that I never realized. Oh. It has a video recording feature in DOSBox. So if, yeah. you just, if you're playing a DOSBox game, yeah. you, can just, you don't have to have OBS set up or anything. Oh. Um, you can just, just record it. Now, I don't know if it picks up like mic and everything like that. So, um, but if you just want to record gameplay, like mm. some of that stuff that built in is really kind of nice. Um, I actually got shadow play. Like when I stopped messing with Door Fortress and then had time, I finally got shadow play with my video card working. Um, mostly because I've transferred from Overwatch PlayStation 4 to Overwatch PC because I have a lot more, uh, friends and family on the PC client. And plus, I have reawakened the keyboard mouse FPS gamer, and I can't go back to FPS in the controller. Now, you know, it's funny because I started out keyboard mouse, hated the controller, then gave up, and then I'm like, I just want a controller for everything, and I'll just use a controller in every game, and now I'm back to playing a competitive FPS. So I was like, all right, let me give uh, a shot. It took me about a week, but once I got into it, I'm doing moves I cannot do with controller <laughs> with several of the heroes, so I can't go back now. But PlayStation has that save your last 15, which I've cranked up to 30, mm-hmm. but it has that button. You just save the last 30 minutes of your gameplay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I need shadow play going because there are some matches that will go that were just a really great, amazing match, and I can't just go save it. I'm going to save that video. Maybe I'll do something with it. Maybe I won't. Who cares? But I want to save this video. And after, like, the third really great match I've had with friends on, um, there was a match we had where the payload was 0.18 meters from its destination. The attacking team has to push that payload 0.18 meters. We have to stop it, and we held off. We held the line for three minutes. It was insane because uh, in the game Overwatch, the the payload is like a car or a vehicle. If you're uh, <coughs> if you're the attacking team and you stand beside it, it um, pushes it forward, like it drives forward. Mm-hmm. If nobody's standing behind it, it sits still. Um, and if nobody stands beside it for a little while, it starts to move backwards. If a defensive team member is standing next to it um, with a, uh offensive member, then it is contested and it does not move. Okay? So it, it forces the fight to be around, you know, the payload. Like you, somebody has to be on it. Somebody has to be contesting it, stopping it. Um, over time, basically, when the timer runs out, if the payload is contested, overtime starts, okay? And it's not a clock. It's just until the payload is no longer contested. When the payload's no longer contested, the overtime bar starts going down. Now, the overtime bar at the start of overtime, if you are cont- you have to be contesting at the end of the match. If you're not, it just ends, okay? But if you are, then the overtime bar stops. If you get knocked back off the payload, you get knocked back far enough, you're not influencing it, the bar will start going down. The overtime bar 
speeds up the longer you're in overtime. So that bar may take six seconds to deplete when you first initiate overtime, kind of give you a good chance to make a stand or a fight for either side. But as time goes on, then it'll be like five seconds, four seconds, three seconds, two seconds, one second, into like fractions of a second. Meaning if we got bumped off that payload for a frame, the other team would win. Because it was at the destination, they just need to kick us off, Mm. and we held it. It was crazy. It was insane. It was just a number of, like, great moves and things, but they're constantly back on it. And then, you know, it's like shouting out to each other, like, who we have to target and take down first. And um, Yeah, I did play Overwatch during for the first time during the free weekend on the PlayStation 4, and I had the t- same experience. Um, I haven't been playing a lot of first-person shooters lately, but the ones that I have played are on the PC. Trying to use a controller didn't feel natural. I never liked Halo for that same reason, having to use the dual sticks to aim and everything. But, uh, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Team Fortress. Uh, I like how Blizzard put their own take on it with all the variety of characters, but some of the characters just annoyed the heck out of me. I can't stand Tracer and all the cutesy stuff. But uh, Yeah, some of them are really heavy to that. Some of them have attacks that... Um, so the, the character that I'm known to be a main as, there's like 30 characters in the game. So it's yeah. like Team Fortress, except instead of having five classes, you have 30 heroes, and they're like Dota. They're mm. all distinct and unique. They group them into four broad classes, yes. but I think it does a disservice um, because, you know, the things they group up as a tank, when I say we need a tank, especially in RPG sense, like you have an idea of like big guy with a shield, going to absorb a lot of damage, going to protect the people behind him. But there's Roadhog who can't protect anyone. Mm. He just has a lot of health. Yeah. Um, and it's like, he's in the tank class because they only have four labels. And it's like, he's really kind of DPS if played well. Um, he's a character to main, but my, what I would be considered to main, uh, is May. And she is known as the Adora troll. Cause like every line she has, every voice character and all that, she's a short little Korean, uh, no, not Korean, Chinese, uh, Girl, and every line is just, um, some of them are frozen jokes, you know, you have to let it go, or just yay, you know, or things like that. But what her kit is, is, um, and the reason I gravitated toward her is her background is a meteorologist. And all of them have backgrounds, and their kit is, like, drawing from that. So she has a frost gun that freezes a player in place. And then it can also shoot an icicle, which will do a lot of damage, especially on the headshot. And when, once you're frozen in place, I have what feels like an eternity to line up a headshot. And it's a really annoying way to die to this cute little girl that's going, yay, freezing you. You can't move. And just watching sometimes miss a shot. And then take a second one hit and take you out. And, you know, it's a real frustrating that. So you have that on top of she has an ability that hasn't been seen in any other first-person shooter, um, which is to alter <coughs> the geometry of the map. She can raise an ice wall um, on the map. That is a geometry structure. You, you can wall climb it. You know, if your character is allowed to do that, you can boost people up with it. You can block people off with it. Unfortunately, a lot of players will play May and they will ice wall their own team off intentionally or not. 
You know, sometimes they don't realize, like, you had this person lined up in your sights, you're going to get the kill shot, and then the ice wall goes up between you and them, and you're irritated at the May. Um, now, I love it because, like I said, I've made the character, and I can use the wall because I can take the enemy team and divide them off. Uh, and then so it's like, if I do my job right, it's not 6v6, it's 6v2, and then 6v4. Yeah. You know, because I've split off... Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer and get in there. And I really love um, advanced tactics characters, characters that aren't... Because her icicle shot is a projectile, so it flies through the air very slowly. You have to really lead a shot to get it. Um, so you have to be really good and creative, um, at playing, uh, this character, but she is a character, you're a good May, frustrates the entire other team, because it's like, she's popping out of nowhere, she's freezing her tanks down, she's blocking the healer off, and, and it's just like, you know, there's a rage I've been sworn at in chat. For just playing the character well. Sounds um, more like a chess match. I mean, blocking people off. And there, there is. As you strategy. get into like the higher rank, and there's like a competitive mode where people take the game much more seriously than the quick play mode. Uh, Blizzard does a good job of not letting people into competitive until you hit like level 25, you know, and then they rank you and they have a match level system and it's a lot. Unfortunately, it's like playing Dota online. You're going to have a lot of people just yelling in chat because you picked the wrong hero. And May is not considered in the meta. So if I pick the character I'm best at Mm -hmm. that I feel like really could be exploited, I get yelled at immediately, you know, because the last May they played with walled them off in the entrance. You know, so... Um, I just remember playing like a skeleton <coughs> cowboy, I think, with two guns. I don't know what character that is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he's, um, I like him, Reaper. Reaper, yeah, yeah. And he's like, it's it's a very self-aware joke of the Edgelord. Okay. So um, if you haven't heard the term Edgelord before, Edgelord is the person on the forums who's trying to prove how dark and bad they are by just like posting the edgiest thing they can do. And that's what they're doing it for. They're just, like, talking about all these really dark things they do. And so, like, he is, like, the personification of that. Like, all of his lines are, like, haven't I killed you before? And I'm, you know, shut this down. And when he does his ultimate ability, he's screaming, die, die, die. Yeah, I remember that. I've heard a lot of die, die, die. He has Death Blossom, which if you remember the movie, the 80s movie, Last Starfighter, that's what that's from. If you remember the movie, Last Starfighter, the ship spins around and shoots in all directions. That's the Death Blossom. It's called that in the movie. And it's a reference to that because he spins around and shoots in all directions. Um, He's a flanker. So uh, he has shotguns. One thing that they do different in Overwatch that most video games don't do. Most video games, you can get a shotgun and snipe across the map. You Mm -hmm. can hit everything. Overwatch, that won't work. Um, the, the spread and everything is more realistic to a shotgun. I say more realistic, but not super realistic. But you know, 20 years away, you're not really going to do any damage to somebody with a Reaper shotgun. Um, he's designed to take down tanks. Um, so he has some abilities to move around the map quickly, get behind the enemy lines, drop behind a tank. And since the tanks are all big, uh, which is another thing they do really well in the game. If a character is big, they have a lot of health. If they're small like Tracer, they have low health. Um, the uh, the shotgun blast 
is going to hit more of that character. So, yeah. like, if you tried to shoot gun, shotgun Tracer, half of your blast is going to miss her. But if you shotgun Roadhog, all of it's going to hit him. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's like that. I love playing him. I love how... I, I, it's funny because I don't think of... I think Soldier 76, he's the one you start the tutorial with. Yeah, I remember. I think he's more Edgelord than the Edgelord because he's the old man. And his voice lines are young punks, get off my lawn. And back in my day, we'd have this payload delivered by now. And you need to take this seriously. Like, that's what he's constantly saying. And I think he's more actual edgy, taking it overly seriously and stuff like that, than Reaper seems to be self-aware. But um, one thing I do love about the game is, like, you can come to it and, like, I don't care for these characters, but with the broadness of the character and play style and design... Because like I said, May was drawn to me because she was a meteorologist first, and I was a meteorologist in the Air Force. And that interests me more than what her kit was. I learned her kit because it's like, I like the idea of the meteorology and the weather comments she makes and things like I that. I can't recall any other video game characters being a meteorologist before. No. <laughs> That's a new one to me. <laughs> no. Um, so uh, that wasn't, uh, I didn't mean to get off on so much on Overwatch. I actually meant to talk about... Um, Soma and Last Guardian is two games I want to talk about. And do you have a couple that you want to? Yeah, a few. If you want me to mention them real quick. Yeah, just throw out the names so people know what they're getting into. Uh, One was Gone to the Rapture. The other one, Final Fantasy XV. And I did my annual Zelda run. Oh, you did your annual Zelda run. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear about Gone to the Rapture. I haven't played it yet. So I'm going to be interested to hear. It's on my, I've installed it. And sitting there, I just haven't played it. But, um, so I'll start with uh, Soma. Soma is uh, Frictional Studios' latest game, the one they released this year. The same ones that made uh, Amnesia, and they also made um, Penumbra series. So they're the the horror adventure game that sort of defined a genre. And when we did (coughs) for the podcast Amnesia, I talked about Soma. I bought it uh, because it was in like a bundle or something, and I just hadn't got time to play with it. I'm really looking forward to it because I've loved all of their games so far. Um, and Soma, I didn't love. Um, it's not bad. It's okay. But it's weird because it feels like somebody looked at what Frictional Games was doing and made a game like it without actually getting the vibe correct. But this is also made by Frictional Games. So it's like a third party came in and said like, oh, we're going to make a game in your style. We have your mechanics. We have, you know, the way you do plot and things like that. But they, they missed a few bits. Uh, the, the main bit, I think, one is it's too long. Um, there are other games wrap up in like 8 to 10 hours. And this one goes for about 15 to maybe 20, depending on how, how you go at it. Um, and that's a little bit long to keep attention in a horror game, I think. Um, and I'm going to liken this game a lot to Alien Isolation, which I also did not like, and is also a game in the same vein. Like, the people who made Alien Isolation said, we're not making a shooter game, we're making one of these Frictional Studio-style horror games um, that they kind of launched back in, in the mid-2000s. And the problem with both of them is their key monster in the game, um, <clears throat> you can't fight, which is fine. You're not supposed to be able to fight it, okay? Uh, you never fight the alien, alien isolation. You just run and hide from it. And you never fight. Uh, there's like a, a, a robot thing. Um, 
someone gets in some really interesting spaces headwise. The a little bit of a spoiler here, but it is kind of revealed early, is that um the world is is ended, basically. Uh meteor impact hit the ocean, wiped out all land on the surface. You're in an underwater lab, but not really. Um what you are is an AI scan of a human in a robot suit. Um, you don't know this when you start. You don't realize it um, when you were activated. Uh, but you very quickly find out that there aren't really humans left. Um, and there was a research project. So there's all this stuff going on in scanning humans and making AI versions of the humans and, and that research going on. And um, when the impact was imminent or the crater was coming and all that, what they decided to do is build the matrix, essentially. They call it the ARC. But build this little computer program uh, that's going to run a simulated environment and launch a sucker into space. Uh, and, you know, it'll be solar-powered. It'll run for thousands of years. And maybe humanity will have a couple thousand years and maybe something will happen. It's a shot. But none of us are going to live. Like with dinosaurs, extinction-level event, you know. Um, so... Yeah, it's not great. We're all AI now, yeah. but um, hey, what are you going to do, right? And so that's kind of, it, it explores that space because your character is the prototype of scan of the research. So you start the game as having an illness and you're going to this doctor who's going to do a special scan on you to try to pinpoint a treatment and you die six months later. But your scans and several other of the scans, like the scans of the doctor of himself and all that, are sort of like the textbook scans that everybody studies now mm-hmm. to do the advanced scanning and things like that. Um, and so it's weird that you were activated because it's kind of like a no-no. You don't like just activate people um, and do that. But in this crazy situation, somebody activated you um, because the ARC didn't get launched. So you're trying to launch the ARC. Meanwhile, the underwater sea lab rogue computer things trying to shut you down, and that's the monster that you're hiding from. Um, so you can't interact with it. You can only hide from it. Same with the alien on Alien Isolation. You can't interact with it. You can only hide from it. <coughs> First couple of times, really tense, really scary moment. Am I hidden? Has it gone? Can I come out now? The 18th time you've done that... <laughs> You're really annoyed because it's like, I'm just sitting here. This is no longer scary, yeah. okay? There's no tension here because I know I just have to wait a set amount of time until that monster wanders off and I can go here, get the key, restart the pump, um, be underwater sea space janitor, you know, and fix the equipment so that I can get this thing launched into space um, and things like that. And if it was condensed down to like 10 hours, the monster tension would have stayed and the dialogue between you and the other AI that you managed to activate that's kind of guiding you through the process. Um, you're also trying to find out why did it fail? Mm-hmm. Like how far did they get it? Where's that? Why did it fail? Um, would be a lot more interesting of a story. And then there's the whole subpart of is this cool or not? Like, where are we at on, like, 
is this because there's a point in the game um again minor spoilers there's a point in the game where you have to upgrade your suit okay but you're not really upgrading you copy your ai state to the other suit and then you realize you copied so there is another version of you in the old suit and you know, like the other ai is like you know um well it'll wake up in like an hour and then you're like well what's going to happen to it well it lost the coin toss like there's two instances of you and you won the coin toss and the one who gets a new suit and it lost the coin toss and it's in the old suit and then you're like should we shut it down and it's like, well, I mean, it's still an AI, you know. It's like, is that right? Is there should there only be one of me? But there's copies of me, you know. And it's like, this is some cool moral headspace to play around in, you know, in a, in a world in which you could like instance yourself in a machine, you know, of of like what is correct, what is not. Um, it has a really great moment in one part where you play the character that didn't win the coin toss, you know. Um, and, and dealing with that. And um, uh, it, that would have been much better had they compacted it down. I think if you pick it up on a bundle and you've liked the other Frictional Studio games, you'll still enjoy this one. I just don't think it hit as high or as well as like Amnesia uh, Dark Descent did um, on, on that thing. And even Amnesia was a little stretched, but it like stretched six hours into eight. Mm-hmm. This stretched eight into 20. Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like I could cut down. There's just a lot of places where I got to a new part of the C-Lab and did the exact same thing of, like, restart a piece of machinery. Okay, it's running now. Okay, now go on to the next location. It's like, what was this for? A lot of filler in there. Yeah, like, this didn't really answer a question or or do anything. But there are some really great moments. So just actually meeting another actual human mm. who has managed to keep themselves alive and having a discussion with them about what's going on and stuff like that. I won't spoil. Um, it's just really cool with all that backdrop. So um, and I'll let you talk about the game. Okay, well, that sounds very similar to that uh, game that I played called Gone to the Rapture. Is like a free game on the PS4, PlayStation <coughs> it a, Network. It was a plus game. Yeah, it was a plus game. Uh, so basically it's the same thing. Everybody's wiped off the face of the earth, and I didn't realize it when I was getting into it. But the- It's a visual novel. Uh, yeah, walking the, simulator the visual gener- novel. The, gener- the genre was walking simulator, which I've never played a walking simulator before. But yeah, but no enemies. Just walk around. There's like these little swirly, sparkly areas where you can like see the thoughts and conversations from the past before this like catastrophic event happened that wiped everyone off. But yeah, you just walk around. It looks really nice and everything. Now, now, one thing that may give you a more appreciation for it is when that game was created, there wasn't a term walking simulator. Oh, okay. So it kind of is the part of the time. coining of the term of what are we calling this? Yeah. This was a weird idea somebody did an experiment of, and now it's a genre. Yeah, and you get like the story through these flashbacks from the little swirly things, and as well as the radios. You can turn the radio, and apparently the radios still work after the apocalypse and everything, <laughs> so... Um, go ahead and talk about my other games. Uh, Final Fantasy 15. So I think it's one of those, either love it or hate it. Uh, the battle system is a lot different. Um, it's more like an action RPG where you have your main character that you control 
your additional teammate companions they're they fight on their own but they're just primarily there to provide their special abilities which you can trigger at any time if you got enough tech bar and everything so i think i'm in chapter 10 in that game really nice looking game and i've heard a lot of bad things i don't play final fantasy yeah this is this is saying something that has penetrated my bubble because i'm not even interested in reading about or following but chapter 13 is terrible. Okay, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> so I, I think it's like a super padded grind. And the thing uh, I've seen echoed a lot in Twitter and people like that is like, they could cut 13 and this would be a much better game. Oh, okay. Uh, I just noticed there's like a lot of side quests. It's more kind of like set up like a Skyrim or an MMO where you go out and uh, <coughs> complete all the tasks you want. There's a lot of driving in the game, but the driving's handled pretty well because they got like different checkpoints or parking spots where it can automatically travel to the next spot for you. But you have to buy gas. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> why do I need to put, spend 10 gil for gas? Uh, my biggest complaint about the game, the thing that really stuck stuck out to me this is probably a nitpick for a lot of people, but the product placement in the game. Final Fantasy has always been about an unknown world, some fantasy world. I didn't up. know they had that in there. Go to, you set up your first camp, big Coleman logo right there on your tent. Wow. Then all the chairs have Coleman on them. And like you see people with Coleman hats. It's like, how much did the Coleman company pay Square Enix to do this product placement? I hope they got paid a lot. But it just kind of took took me out of the game seeing that. Real world. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it in movies. And I think it works great in racing games. It's like, hey, you got a racing game. You want to see the real world? Or even if your game is like, like GTA is set in a fictional, but, but. This world, yeah. you know, like it can work, but Final Fantasy isn't. Yeah, there's chocobos, man. Yeah, it's keep, like keep the product placement out of my <laughs> Final Fantasy, please. But uh, yeah, I've been liking it pretty well. I think about twenty hours into that, and my Zelda run, I did that about a week ago. Still wasn't feeling that well. There's been something going around. I, I was up sick for the last three weeks, lost like fifteen pounds. So it's like I want to get back into live streaming. This is a good game to do it because I can run through it pretty quickly. Seems like for some reason it always takes me two hours. I haven't ever been able to for the pro- original for the original. This sounds about. I mean. Unless you're speed running. Yeah. And I've watched some of these speed running videos, which they use some things that I don't agree with, where you can like warp from like the beginning screen all the way over to level three using this up down. Yeah, that's what I was meaning. Like, unless you use some speed run glitches, yeah. I don't think you're going to get much better than two hours. And pressing up an A on the second controller. I was like, well, yeah, let's you do that. I mean, my question is at this point, did you remember? Do you have internalized Dungeon 9's map? Because when I get to Dungeon 9, I'm still like. Where is that stupid silver arrow? I'm getting better. You're getting at better. It. I, I know like the major <clears throat> junctions that I have to take, but sometimes I get a little bit confused because you know, in level nine, if you skip the silver arrow and you accidentally walk into Ganon's room, you're yeah, screwed. That's in, that's the end you're of your run. You right just there. walk in there and not be able to finish that fight. And I know it's like I have to like get to the the top right and teleport down, but then I have to teleport again. And then it's it's somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, I did skip the red ring, so I didn't do a complete run or anything. <laughs> but I got a very specific way that I play Zelda. I'm not sure if it's like your playthrough or anyone else's playthrough. But I always start out 
get the bombs, get all the heart containers from the old man, choose any one that you want, get the white sword right off the bat before going to level one or anything else. And then I find all the secret, uh, it's a secret everybody, Moblins. Mm-hmm. And uh, get the ring, get the blue ring before even starting level one. Yeah. So the thing that I really like about that is I can take a hit and still be able to shoot my sword. And I um, will also go, I think it's dungeon eight. You can walk in and go all the way to the left yes. and get, um, the, is it the red candle I thought it was or is it the book, wizard book? But the book that you use on this. Uh, yeah, rod. and I think you can get the red candle fairly early too. Oh, okay. I thought red candle is level seven. Maybe it's level seven yeah. dungeon. But I will go into I know eight's dungeon. And I think it's a seven as well. Because I think I get the book and the red candle yeah. before I've even done level one. Like you can just run through. Yeah. And and just ignore all the dark nuts and everything. And just run, I'm going to go into the stream. Yeah. Kill these bats. Go down the slider. Grab this item. I don't care if I die getting back out. Yeah. You know I'm going to grab an item. Yeah, I play it that way. I get all the heart containers and stuff first. Um, and then but then I mostly go through the dungeons in order. Yeah, I do uh, too. But I like being completely overpowered. It's like I go into level one, I think it's Aquamentas or something, and just like two hits and he's dead. I mean, it, I like being completely overpowered for the level that I'm Do you I'm ever at. play Second Quest? I have in the past. But I mean, I have in the past, but I never anymore. I don't yeah, bother. I think I actually played all the way through at one time, but there's so many invisible walls that if you don't know where the invisible wall, they're not bombable walls. You just press up and you go through them. If you don't know where those are located, then you won't ever be able to escape the dungeon or beat the okay. boss. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much all my gameplay. So um, yeah, I played um, uh, uh, Last Guardian. Um, we actually played this for the show, and the videos will be going up at some point months from now. Um, but the uh, <coughs> I bought the game, and then I had John play it on the show because I didn't want to take breaks between playing the game. I figured this was going to be uh, a Shadow of the Colossus, an eco game, that I'm going to want to finish this. I'm not going to want to wait between things. I'm going to want, you know, this game hyped on that. And it actually turned out, um, we started the game. I knew nothing about it. We played the first four, four hours together. Then I put it in and started my playthrough, and then I played it for eight hours, and then I was done. Um, I do not... <coughs> go for um, platformers. Like, at some point, I don't know when, I just stop caring about a platformer. I don't care about any Mario game that has ever come out since Super Mario Bros. 3. And to me, it's just like, okay, I get it. They're platformers. They got some collectibles. You get to get the level. I don't care. You know, I just there's nothing in the platform that does it for me anymore. Yeah. Um, I did play Mario Run. It's like, okay, I've done this before. I mean I played Mario Run up until it asked me for ten dollars. Yeah. And then I went That's like three levels. Not in the platformers (laughs) enough to give you ten dollars for this. So uh, I thought it was neat. I thought it was an interesting idea the way you could um send yourself running both directions. Yeah. Uh, Wall jumping was like a nice twist, and so it wasn't just a straight ahead endless runner. So I really felt like they at least brought something to the table of an endless yeah. runner when they did it. But, but if you're doing mobile, you got to do pay to play. I mean, you got to make yeah. <laughs> at least more than three levels free. <laughs> it may work um, out for them. I don't know. It may. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I do like the idea that you could pay $10 though and own the entire thing and play it all over and, and 
There was like a castle building mini game or something in the yeah. thing that I couldn't get to I because yeah. um, not in a free version. You'd have to sort yeah. of uh, pay for it. But yeah, so a lot of Shadow of the Colossus, not Shadow of the Colossus, Last Guardian is platforming. And there's a lot of moments that are scripted sequences. So the entire thing, I don't want to spoil too much because there's not a lot to spoil in these games, you know? Uh, most of the game is centered around um, your relationship and the, the kid's relationship with Trico, the, the cat, bird, dog thing uh, that's in the game. Um, I think if you go into the game, you need to have the mindset that it's a cat. If you go in the mindset of like it's a bird or it's a dog, um, it's going to be more frustrating. But if you go into the mindset of like trying to tell a cat to do something, you'll kind of understand um, more what uh, it takes to get like you're going to have to get a cat to kind of want to do the thing. Right. And it may take it a moment. Um, and it's well done. Like, it's really, really good in that sense. And I think it's worth playing a little bit. I just didn't have the wherewithal to play the whole game because you need to have some appreciation for platforming because a good, massive, crazy chunk of the game is platforming. And there'll be sequences where most of the game you're trying to climb this tower and you're going through different rooms of the tower and towers next to the tower and you're trying to get to the top of this. <clears throat> and you'll make a lot of progress, you'll have a great moment, you'll come out, the camera will pan around to a cinematic, and then something will crumble, or something will show up and knock you off, and you'll fall back down, and it just felt way too padded to me of like, okay, so now I'm going to retrace a whole bunch of steps that we just did to get back to the point we were at to then progress. Um, but there's never really an inventory system. Like, you're not dealing with any inventory. There's nothing else in the game. It is very much like uh, Shadow of the Colossus and Eco in that respect of it's just you moving around the world, uh, taking it in. It does have more of a cohesive story than any of the others, but it still maintains that distance of I don't fully understand what's going on no one will. We can have speculation and debates. So if you played those games and you're like, um, I mean, it's a little late for spoilers on Shadow of the Colossus, but if you're still having those debates of like the ending of Shadow of the Colossus, is it the prequel to Eco? I don't know if you've heard this theory or not. Um, so the ending of Shadow of the Colossus, you get pulled into that pit, that tunnel, a little pool of water, and at the very last cutscene, you see, like, this little baby born with horns in it. Oh. You know, like, you become the demon, yeah. then you get sucked in, and then you get reborn as, like, this little horn kid, which is a horn kid that you play. So there's, like, this weird okay. connection that may or may not exist. Um, so <coughs> um, they still maintain that it could and it could not be related. Um connections um they still maintain like you can read things into it or not um they're really great moments with the the trico um but at the end it was just too much platforming for me um based on where you are at, at with platformers would kind of be my recommendation to it like if you've played the other games um and you like them and you're good with the platforming 
then this is this is a great game. So you'll, you'll love this. If you played the other games and it was like me, you played them and then there was a bit of a chore section of like, well, not so much Shadow of the Colossus because that's just boss fight for boss fight. There's no real platforming involved there. Um, but for Eco. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, come on. Can we just... I, I've been doing this for five hours. Can we go? Uh, no, like I don't want to open another door or get to another sequence or anything like that. I played Eco years ago, and it's been a while, but I just remember having to lead the girl around everywhere. I was like, come on, let's go, let's go. And there were some nice <coughs> puzzles in the game from what I remember. Yeah, then there's some great moments, but there's not a eye to hack the bad ones out and go, these are the good ones. These are so-so. So I'm going to make the good ones even better by cutting... The, the cruft here and, and just going with that. And I think that game could have served um, well from cutting some of the sequences. You don't need that much time to connect the relationship. I think the relationship between you and Trico is much better than you and the girl. The girl really felt like a hassle. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to sit here, please. Let me go. Oh, the dragon, you are. Right, let, <laughs> let me fight these things off and get you. Can you just please stand here for a minute? I have to run around this side to get you to a ledge because you won't go up two steps. If you could just go up two steps, this would be fine. But, you know, so it's more like a frustration. Um, and I didn't feel like the emotional attachment to her the game wanted me to feel because there was too many puzzles that bent on the frustration with her. That's not the case with Trico. Um, the frustration might be, you know what you need to do and you're trying to get him to do it. Uh, that said, there was a few parts where we did turn to a walkthrough because it looked like this was the thing we were supposed to be doing. It just turned out we missed a staircase behind us or something. And it's like, oh, there's a staircase behind us. So we didn't have to like go to the walkthrough and get a deep spoiler. But it's just like, oh yeah, at this point. And then you climb on the walk on the staircase and what staircase? You remember the staircase? Turn around. Oh, that staircase that we've missed for 15 minutes, you know? Uh, so there were a few moments like that. They don't always adhere to the golden rule of light the uh, way forward, where there's always like a light yeah. shining on the ladder or something you need to go to. They do most of the game, but not the entire game. Uh, the last thing I ended on is, um, my, instead of comfort gaming with Zelda, like you did, um, when I was down and I was sick and, well, I guess you weren't sick when you streamed it at that point, but uh, when I was on the couch and I'm just like, I need to play something I don't need to think about and just try to get to this six hours I'm going to be awake this day because I, I, I was down with walking pneumonia, which hits you with fatigue on top of everything else is one of its symptoms. And so it's not sleepy tired. But it's exhaustion nonetheless, and you can't do anything, but you're awake because you can't sleep anymore. And uh, the one I popped back in, and I hadn't played in like a year and a half, was Bloodborne. Mm. And that game held held up for me beautifully. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to fill that Zelda niche spot of like, I'm just going to plug this game back into, and it's going to be like, Welcome back. You know, this is like cheers. Yeah. You know, like this is like, Welcome hey, home. Norm, you know, okay. like, hey, Mike, you're back. Great. <laughs> we got werewolves and, you know, weird Cthulhu yeah. beasts waiting for you again. And you say, oh, look, there's Eileen the Crow. And hey, there's Alfred. And you're going to go crazy later. But that's cool, man. I'm still going to do your quest because if I'm going to play it, I'm like 100% completionist run through on it every time, not speed running it. And it felt good because 
the last times I played it, I was like, well, I should try a different build. I should try this that I didn't do last time. I should, you know, ignore this and try that. And there's a way that I want to play the game, but I've played it like a couple of times. It was the one I took to New Game Plus 4. It was like the build that I like preferred to carry. My preferred weapons, preferred build, preferred quest outcomes and all that. And since it had been like a year and a half and I was plugging it in, there's like some comfort on the couch. Yeah. I could just play it and know that I know everything I'm getting. I know every weapon I'm upgrading. I'm building my character stats. And I still got wrecked by a few bosses. Like, I still walked in with a swagger of like, hey, Gascoin, I'm going to... Oh, my gosh. Okay, six times later, why haven't I beat this guy? This is the second boss in the game. I'm overleveled because I know where all the stuff was at. And he, he can still shut me down. And I liked it. I liked playing on the game and having a tense moment most of boss fights i took down the first try Mm -hmm. because i know there's things i know there are moves it came back to me and i sort of remember like oh i'm fighting dark beast pearl okay don't lock on stay underneath him focus on one leg until he breaks down and you get a lot of free hits in but i was still tense going in of like he could kill me he could kill me you know um, I think we all have our games that we know backwards and forwards that we can just chill out with. It's like, oh, sometimes it's just a headache to try something, play a new game. I just want to play something I know backwards and forwards so I can just chill out and not have to worry about it. I love all the Souls games, but I have realized, and it's gelled the last couple of months, that I like Dark Souls the least. Hmm. Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3 the least. I like Demon Souls... And Bloodborne, and I think it clicked for me because those are standalone. They don't have sequels or follow-ups. I mean, Zelda has follow-ups, but Zelda's standalone, you know, for the most part. It doesn't continue plot and story and characters. It's just like, go save the world again. Go get the Triforce, save the world again. So it's like, I like Twilight Princess a lot. I like the first Legend of Zelda a lot. I don't really feel a strong connection to the two. You know, like they're both Zelda games and that's it. You know, they don't really feel, they don't play the same. Um, So, you know, I'll plug both of those in and do that. And Bloodborne and and Demon's Souls, I can plug back in. And it's like, I can sit down, I can put in now. I mean, I run to those games in 10 to 15 hours. Um, They're like 40 to 50 hour first time games. So uh, they're not quite the two hour bar uh, that you can get an NES game down to, but um, I can plug those in, I can do my 10 hours, do my 15 hours in there, and then come away really satisfied. Yeah. Because unlike, let's say, Mass Effect that I love, if I play the first one through again, I know how all their stories continue in 2 and 3, and now I just want to play 2 and 3, but then that you get that guilt complex of, I got all these new games I haven't played. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be playing Mass Effect 2. I don't even like Mass Effect 2. It's the worst of the series. I would just rather play 1 and 3, but since my save has to continue, yeah. I have to play them all. I've got a new Koei game still in box and wrapper. <coughs> I don't even know what the name of it is, which is kind of sad, but I was like, oh, it's Koei, and it looks like Dynasty Warriors. Got to pick it up, and just haven't gotten to it. It's not Sakura... Um... 
It's not the Shinobi girls, is it one? Where's nothing but girls. I think uh, so. It could be that. We started playing that game. It it looked nice and shiny, and I saw it on Amazon. I saw Koei. We called it... um, I'm not sure if it's Omega Force. Now, usually I like the Omega Force mm -hmm. because it's more hack and slash. Now, this is more like you're fighting a mob of 50 to 60 at once. Yeah. Um doing a combo and then changing into a form and and um it was on sale not too long ago uh on on playstation and we picked it up and we're going to do it for the channel at some point uh we we likened it to be the uh game that occupus strip wanted to be but didn't go there yeah this one goes there a little bit more oh, okay you may not be able to twitch stream it oh, okay like we we were playing it and we were like whoa okay that yeah. was a didn't it because you you sort of think like you're playing the version off the playstation yeah. off the playstation store like yeah. we didn't get like the japanese non-us centered import you yeah. sort of like assume a certain level of of um, censorship, censorship is going to be applied. Like you have to worry about it. But then yeah. we were playing, and we're like, "Whoa, wow. that's uh, be interesting to see if this gets flagged on." Yeah. You know, I uh, do have Occubus Beat pre-ordered, which I think comes out early next year. And the game I'm really looking forward to is Persona Five, just because I like yeah, Persona I've, Four so much. Played a little bit of Persona Three, couldn't get into it. I, it's just been time constraints. It, it is, and it's a time commitment game. And so, like, I've played a couple chapters into Persona Three. Yeah. One thing was just this deciphering the matrix of which Persona 3 am I going to play. Yeah. Because there's multiple versions, and they have multiple features. So, like, if you get the one, I think, that went to the Vita, um, it doesn't have a lot of the animation story sequences, like the actual cartoon animation that they came back later and added, sort of like they did with Golden. But it does give you the option to play as an alternate character. You can pick a boy or a girl and play a different storyline. Like, it actually changes some events because you play as a girl now, so these events won't make sense. So they actually change them. Or you cannot have that option to play through that, and you can play with the extra animated content. And like, ah, I don't. And that one's a PC. That's a PlayStation 3 version. So then I'm like, I really like playing this kind of game on my Vita because I can just set the Vita aside and pick it back up, and it can be for three months the Persona console that I don't have to interrupt anyone or shut anything down or load anything. It's just always right there, and it just goes to sleep. And when I unlock it, it's right in the middle of my game. That's how I play Golden. Yeah, because I have Persona 3 and Persona 4 both on the PlayStation 2, so it's like I I can't play it on PS4. I got to go boot up my old PS3 to play it, and... Did you ever play Golden? I have played Golden. Golden. I've seen it, but never. Pe- I don't. I don't have a Vita. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, that's right. It's Vita only. Up. I keep forgetting yeah. that they didn't ever. It's weird because I saw the PSP go, and I, I had the original PSP, and never really played it that much. It had the UMD disc and everything that were such a pain. It played for like an hour or something, then you were out of batteries. That's a big joke. Yeah. Like they had the UMD movies and your battery would be dead, <coughs> dead before, before the, the movie was over. over. Yeah. And they had the go. I was like, ah. then the video, I was like, yeah, they're on a bad track here. I'm not sure if I'm going to jump on the Vita band, bandwagon there. All right. Um, I mean, I can recommend it if you ever get a Vita. Um, I don't know why you would at this point. 
I've definitely wanted to play Persona 4 Golden. It's just like... I played it on the Vita TV a lot. Yeah. Unfortunately, that has even less support than the Vita, uh, which is a shame. Yeah. Like, I wish Sony would... Like, I'm kind of watching what Sony's going to do with Sony VR. Yeah. Because I would buy that VR set. Yeah. With the bad games and all. Like, it's so rough on the titles. Just to have that be the VR set, if they put support behind it. But I'm just afraid, just like they did with the Vita and the Vita TV, that it didn't hit super sales numbers. So they're just going to let it linger out there and not really do anything for it. Yeah. Because I think on the Vita, they have uh, Muramasa. Demon Blade, made by Vanillaware, which I really like. They're the same people that made Odin Sphere. So it's kind of like Odin Sphere, but with ninjas and I stuff like that. I started that one, yeah, because you play two different girls. I think you can switch between, or maybe you just yeah. play in different story parts. And it's more action-y. It's besides going yeah. action, combat, uh, it was a PlayStation Plus title. Yeah, uh, and I actually have it on the Wii, but with the Wii, i got to do the Wii Mote and all this and set up the sensor bar, and it's like, oh, I don't even <laughs> want to deal with it. Can, can you just put it on a con- regular console? <laughs> yeah, that was what I was like about the Vita TV is like I can take these Vita games and play them on the TV oh, okay. with the PlayStation 4 controller yeah. and I'm fine I'm happy it's great it's perfect it's all I want but they're not really supporting that and so the games that are coming out anymore aren't taking the flag um, that you can play them on either and I've had games just lock up and crash uh, I think we were doing we were doing um <sighs> The Double Fine game, uh, the, the classic one that came out, they redid. Monkey the, Island? Not Monkey Island. Not Broken Grim Fandango. Egg. Grim Fandango. We were playing Grim Fandango, and I was playing it on the Vita, because that's the version I picked up on a sale, and we were playing it on the Vita TV, and then it crashes at one scene every single time, and we couldn't get past it. And it was just like, well, that, that ends that. And the support for the Vita TV is non-existent. And they've already patched this game like two times. And there haven't been any more patches in four months. So I don't think they care about this particular bug or whatever this is. Or maybe it'll be fixed if we replay it. But I don't feel like replaying it. And that was just kind of sad. I wish they had a good Vita emulator on the PlayStation 4. And like make all those Vita games like be able to purchase those digitally. Now, I I'd buy think... I'm saved because in a recent month, Grim Fandango was a PlayStation Plus game. And I think the saves are cross-save. Oh, that's so cool. I might be able to, because it's a plus, hmm. and it was a cross-buy, cross-save game. Hmm. Um, I only bought it for the Vita, but now it's like cross-buy. So I have, somehow I got the PlayStation 4 version. I haven't tried to load the save yet. So I may be able to save it, but it was a disappointment. Well, all right, uh, folks, I appreciate you tuning in and listening. Um, I'm going to be real quick at this end here. You can find me at Vinyl on Twitter or V-I-N-U-L-L.com. Although there's nothing there new to check. Well, Levi, what's going on? Where can uh, I find you? Same old stuff. Uh, LeviDSmith.com <laughs> is my website. You can find me, LeviDSmith, on YouTube and GA Tech Grad on Twitter. So I'm always... Doing something new out there. For uh, the group, noxgamedesign.org, uh, it's going to be going undergoing a bit of a re-amorphosis, a change. Um, so uh, I'm not going to say anything on the podcast. There's, there's plans afoot, um, but I want to give them time to happen. But this may exist in a new format that you hadn't seen before um, or, or coming up. So the podcast is maybe a sign-off for a game design chat. 
and this may be the end of season one of Game Design Chat. Uh, we don't have a game for next episode because we're not scheduling next episode at the time to allow these, these changes to take place. Yeah, we but did almost a year, didn't we? We started in February. The, I think we have 12 episodes Yeah, this still is January. So because, January. Um, or, or this is the 13th. Because Codestock gave us uh, an episode, or I thought yeah. we had a bonus. We have a bonus Wait, episode. Yeah, there was an so this is either the twelfth or the thirteenth episode. Even though we took December off, um, we 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 still yeah went a year. That's not bad. That's not bad for the show uh, idea. It was fun. Appreciate everyone who tuned in and listened, or came out and found us um, at Codestock and we did the panel, or have listened to this, or subscribed to us on iTunes or Google Play. Um, uh, or follow on uh, YouTube. So thank everyone for watching, and uh, we'll see you in the future sometime. See you later.